Well, it's always exciting to see uh, just uh, so many kids and their excitement on their face to be able to go out to kids' church and bring in their loveys with them this morning. I think today's the day to bring a lovey to church. Did y'all bring a lovey to church? Anybody awake today? All right. I brought a lovey. It's called my family here, and we're excited. But, man, isn't it good to see people, kids especially, follow the Lord in baptism this morning? We've, we've had a good summer, and... It's been really good. Today is a special day for us in the life of a church. Um, we're going to be looking at some men who will, uh, in the next few weeks, uh, with the church's affirmation, begin to take on some, some greater leadership responsibilities in the life of our church. And, you know, when it comes down to leadership, that is one of the most essential, if not the essential, component to any organization. It doesn't matter if it's a government or a company or nonprofit or church. Leadership is essential. It's imperative if there's going to be success. I mean, John Maxwell said it right, that everything rises and falls on leadership. And so for us, today is a special day. In just a moment or two, you're going to hear from three men that uh, we believe are strong candidates to assume the role, the responsibility of being an elder, a pastor in our church. And, and so your current elders, Tim, Steve, and myself, have been praying. We've been meeting. We've been studying the lives of these three men. And we believe that they are uh, the right men at the right time to help serve in this capacity uh, in our church. I want to direct your attention, if you will, to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And what I want to do this morning uh, in about 10 minutes is to walk through biblical eldership and just as a way of reminder, uh, help you as the church understand what this is, why it's important in the life of the church, and how we flesh this out here at Red Lane. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, I want to read Paul's words to Timothy in this letter, speaking to this office, the role and the responsibilities as well as the qualifications for it. If you have a Bible, please turn with me there. If not, you can follow along with me on the screens. Paul says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. What we see here in this biblical text is a prescription for this office. We see here a foundational principle that we need to understand, and that is church leadership is designed by God. It's not something that's designed by man. It's not designed by the church. This is something that has been prescribed, and, and therefore we're to implement it because God has set it forth. We didn't invent this office, and so we must not seek to impose our own leadership structure on what would be God's design. He's the one who designed the structure in such a way that the church would dispel the glory or display the glory of God, not only in the church, but in the community as well. I love how that, this passage ends there in verse six, or verse 7, talking about how this man is to be someone that the outsiders would look at and commend for their character and their behavior. And so 
we cannot and we must not add to nor take away from this design because when we do so, his glory fails to be displayed. And so when it comes to Christ church, the Lord has provided an organizational plan, and we're seeking to follow that in the life and ministry of our local church. And so three things I want to touch on briefly this morning. First of all, who are the elders in the church? I'm going to do a brief overview. I'm going to encourage you, because um, I may not say everything that's in my notes this morning just for the sake of time. Uh, every Sunday, what we do is, I should say every Monday, when we publish the uh, audio script for the service, we also put up a PDF of the biblical teaching that we have. And so I want to encourage you to make that a practice, to go there and just use it as your notes, but you can also use that as a way to understand better uh, elders in our church. In fact, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the sermons a few years ago when we walked through 1 Timothy, especially these passages, talking about elders and deacons for a better and more uh, detailed description of what this office is. But three descriptions here that we find in the text for one office. Let me just share these with you real quickly. First of all, there's the description that's called an elder. This term applies, implies wisdom and experience. It comes from an Old Testament Jewish word whereby, or in a category of leadership whereby a, a, a men much like a senate, were set apart for leadership there in Israel. The elders of Israel were mature men. They were heads of families. They were able men of strong moral character who feared God and were known for their truthfulness and integrity. And so the New Testament, the early church, picks up on that, that image and that role and responsibility and brings it into the New Testament local church. And so we see this description of an elder. We also see the description of a pastor. And so, well, another thing I want to point out is what you read in the New Testament, speaking of this office, they're going to use these three descriptive words, and they are three distinct descriptive Greek terms. So elder would be, would be the word presbyteros. Pastor is the, the term poimen. And that word just simply speaks of the role of a shepherd who's in charge of the flock, nurturing, caring, tending to the sheep. A shepherd is someone who leads the flock from place to place to find sustenance. There's a third description that we see, and that is the Greek term episkopos, and that is what we transliterate as an overseer. Some of your translations may say bishop. This term describes someone who watches over things or, in the case of the church, over people. And so this overseer, this bishop, was the secular Greek culture's equivalent to the historic Jewish idea of elder. Bishops are those who appointed, were appointed by the emperors to govern captured or newly founded city-states. And so the bishop was responsible to the emperor, but oversight was delegated to him. Much is the same in the early church or the New Testament church. The pastors, the elders, the overseers are God's gift, God's appointed men to lead to oversee the affairs of the church under the supreme ruler, that being the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. And so we see three descriptive terms for one office in the New Testament. In fact, we could go to a couple passages this morning, and for the sake of time, we're not going to, but in Acts chapter 20 and then 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, what you'll see in those two passages are the three different terms used in one passage, speaking of one office. And so they are uh, the three terms that speak of the same role, the same person, the same office. They are uh, interchangeable, if you will. So those are the elders in the church. So what do these elders do in the church? Well, if we were to go to these 
two passages that I mentioned, uh, we would see four things that I want to point out to you really quickly. What do the elders do? First of all, they lead under the authority of Christ. They're not leading under their own authority. They're not even leading under the authority of the local church. They're leading under the authority of Christ. Secondly, they care for the body of Christ. They're there to portray the, the heart of a shepherd who's protecting and nurturing the flock of God. Thirdly, they teach the word of Christ. We've already seen as we read this text that elders are those who are able to teach, and so they teach the word of Christ. Elders are charged in the Bible with the duty of teaching and guarding the doctrine of the church, and so elders are teachers who then proclaim the whole counsel of God, Acts 20, verse 27. And then fourthly, they modeled the character of Christ. Paul instructed the Ephesian elders there in Acts 20 to pay close attention to their own personal lives. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 3, magnifies the instruction by charging those men to be examples for the church to follow. And so when we're looking for men to, to assume this office and to lead in this role, we're looking for men who model the heart, the life, the integrity, the holiness of Jesus Christ. Does that mean that these men are infallible? Does that mean that these men will, do not and will not make mistakes? Does that mean that these men don't have their propensity and the, the temptation to fall in their life? Absolutely not. We're all humans. We're all fleshly. We all have a sinful nature that's been redeemed by Jesus, but still under and in case by this flesh that we have. And so they're not infallible, but they're moving toward Christ-likeness, and we can see that being modeled in their life. So that's what elders do. They lead, they care, they teach, and they model. And so how do we select elders in the church? Well, Paul gives us a pretty good outline of what we should be looking for here in these verses that we read. First of all, we're looking at what we see in verse number one is a desire, a calling upon their life. He says, whoever would aspire to, the, to this office is aspiring to a good thing. And so there needs to be a desire. There needs to be a sense of calling on a man's life to this role. Why is that necessary? Because this is a hard role to be in. This is a difficult place. This is not uh, hunky-dory. I know I get many jokes from some of you that I work one hour a week. I wish that were true. My pay would be really, really good hourly. But it's not like that at all. When you get that call in the middle of the night when there's been a tragedy in someone's life, when you get that call that a marriage and a family in your church is breaking down, when you get that call where there's dissension and, and discord within the body of Christ, who are they looking to? They're looking to the elders. We have to step in and as a shepherd, come alongside and, and nurture and protect and guard and bend or, or bind the wounded and sometimes take our sticks and go to, to battle to protect the church, even rebuking at times. And so there has to be a desire, a sense of calling on a man's life. Secondly, we're looking for a life that exemplifies godly character. You can't model the character of Christ if you're not exemplifying that in your own life prior to becoming or taking on this role and responsibility. So we see this fleshed out there in verses 2 and 3 as well as in verse 7. Thirdly, we're looking for a man with an ability to communicate God's word. A good majority or a good proportion of the responsibility here is in our church not necessarily to preach even though there are times when our elders have and will preach in the future but that primary responsibility is mine I'm the primary teacher preacher in our church but uh, as a body of men as a body of elders we guard the doctrine of the church and so to do that you have to effectively communicate the, the, the doctrine and the understanding of God's word and so we're looking for someone 
who can communicate it. Fourthly, we're looking for a man or, or a person who has a home that is led well. That's what he says here in this passage, that they must manage their household well. They need to have a godly family. It doesn't mean your kids won't make mistakes. It doesn't mean your kids won't um, do something that's contrary to what you've been instilling to them. Uh, some, many times I've heard families say something like this. You know, Proverbs says that train up a child in the way he shall go, and there he will go after. You know, basically, if I do this, then I'm going to get this outcome. That's generally true, but it's not always true. We can point our kids to Christ. We can lead them to the trough, but we cannot make them to drink. And so we need to do that, but the outcome is not always what we would like for it to be. But we need to see men who are leading their homes well. Fifthly, we're looking for a male. Now, that's controversial in the day and age in which we live. But the text says that. That's why I said earlier, this is something that's prescribed by the Lord. This is an organizational plan that God has instituted. He designed. He set forth. It's not something that we've conjured up or something that we're able to tweak as we go because culture changes. The Word of God never changes. Culture may, but we're to stay true to the Word of God. And so we're looking for a male. We're looking for a man to be an elder. Does that mean women don't have any responsibilities or, or opportunities to serve in the church? Absolutely not. In fact, if you were to look at the organizational chart of our church right now, you would see more than likely more women in places of service than you see men. And I say that's a detriment to our men. There's time for some of our men to step up and take on responsibilities because they're not. The women are stepping into some of those roles. And so I thank God for women who serve in our church. But when it comes to the the office of pastor, of elder, of overseer of our church, that is an office exclusively reserved for men. If you don't like that, you can send me an email or send me a text or call me, but I would refer you to Scripture because I didn't design this. It's God's thing, but I'm going to stick with it. Number six, we're looking for an established believer. Verse six there said that we must not look for those who are recent converts, else they become conceited and fall into the temptation of their pride. And so we're looking for someone who's walked with Jesus for a while. Does that mean we're looking for someone who's been a believer for 10 years or 20 years or 30 years? I don't believe there's a time set on that, but what you're seeing is someone who's matured in their faith enough to become more mature than they once were. So we're not looking for a seasoned 70-year-old who's walked with Jesus for 60 years. We may be looking for someone who's five years into the faith, but they, are, they have grown tremendously so that they are more spiritually mature, spiritually five years old than someone who's been walking with the Lord for 65 years. And so the, the, the economy is different when it comes to salvation. But we're looking for a mature and maturing believer in Jesus Christ. And so our elder candidates that you're going to hear from in just a moment are Mike Blakeney, Chris Cox, and Brad Wren. Hopefully most of you know these men. Uh, all of them actually are relatively new to the life of our church in the last three or four years. Uh, Mike is married to Tiffany. You're going to hear from him first. He serves as a deacon currently. He's a small group leader in our young adult area, and he's also on our AV team. He helps up there with the sound, and so uh, he's one of those guys that helps keep us rocking and rolling up here. Chris Cox is married to Shannon. Uh, he serves as a small group leader in, in our ministry as well. He's a teacher in our children's ministry on Wednesday nights. He and Shannon do a phenomenal job 
in both of those areas. They've been a tremendous blessing to the life of our church and to this pastor as well. And I thank God for, for Mike and Tiffany and for Chris and Shannon. And then Brad Wren is the last man that you'll hear from. He's married to Stephanie. Stephanie's on our staff. She serves in our office and, and does so many things for us. Brad serves as a deacon. He's a small group leader, and he's on our hospitality team. And so many times you'll see him as you come onto the property. He's out there waving. He's in that green uh, greeter outfit that our greeters love so much, but they do such a wonderful job, and it's, we're thankful for them. So these three men are going to come. What they're going to do is they're going to share their personal testimony. They're going to talk a little bit about their spiritual journey that's brought them to this moment. And, uh, and then after those three men have shared, then I'll come back and close up this time for our service. So Mike, I'm going to invite you to come on down. I've got a microphone up here for you at the front. And if Mike goes long, then we'll just throw tomatoes at him. No, I'm kidding. I got my notes, so I'm not going to go long. Hopefully. Of course, if you're in my Sunday school class, you know having notes doesn't mean anything. <laughs> Pastor James asked us to share uh, just a little what brought us to this uh, place in our life where we feel like, you know, being or participating in the role of an elder means something. So um, what I'd like to kind of share with you this, with you briefly is uh, four, four of those milestones in my spiritual walk um, and then kind of where I am today. So the, very quickly, the, the first place in my life uh, was when I was younger and I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. Um, I did that at a very young age, eight or nine years old. And up until high school, uh, for me, my life was very regular growing up in a Baptist church. And so it wasn't until I was in high school that I remember in my bedroom one day, and it finally clicked that everything those people were telling me on Sunday is actually in God's Word. And so to me, that, that's the first big mile marker in my life, that the Word of God is exactly what everybody's been teaching me, and I can lean on it and learn from it each and every day. And so that prompted me throughout high school to ask all the questions a lot of high schoolers ask, is God real? Why do we follow him? All of that. And through that journey, I came to that second point in my life. And that was when I began to feel a call to um, giving my life in service and ministry to the Lord. And so in that season of my life, through college and into um, post-college, uh, I began to um, serve the Lord. Um, that looked like for us, for at least me, and you know, I'm spending uh, many, a whole bunch of years, eight or nine years in Alaska, um, serving at a local church, doing youth and outreach ministry there. Um, met my wife Tiffany there. And uh, through that journey as well came that second thing. Because, you know, I grew up in a good Baptist home, right? And a lot of times we're taught this is what you do, right? You don't do these things, you do these things. And so for, for me, I, I was very much focused on doing what was right, and it was very hard for me to accept that forgiveness whenever I would mess up. And so through that journey in Alaska, add being married to that, because, like, you know, forgiveness is a big deal when you're, in, when you're married, right? <laughs> and so I, I've had to learn what it means to both give forgiveness, and really it's very hard for me to... Um, sometimes to receive forgiveness from someone. And so um, that's that third part, that third milestone in my life has been learning to live in the grace of God. And then 
coupled with that is learning to live in the power of his resurrection. And in other words, it's one thing for, for, for us to receive God's forgiveness. It's a whole other thing to live that out, um, to live a life that you're not, you're not stuck on the guilt of your past, but you look no further than the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that's where your life begins, right? So the four, the four big things for me in my life that has led me to this point has been learning the power of the Scripture, knowing and learning what it means to serve God, living restored, and then finally, what God is teaching me now, because we're having a baby, is, is hope. It's hope. Because it, for, for me, um, I have to put my hope in God that he's going to take care of my family, right? There's a, uh, there's a thing that we say in work. I, I, I help write software for a living, right? And there's a thing that we say at work that hope is not a strategy. And, and what we mean by that is, like, you don't just write code and kick it out the door and hope it doesn't break somebody's computer. You, you might think that's what they do, but that's really not what we're supposed to be doing. <laughs> but in our spiritual walk, I've really been thinking about this, our spiritual walk, hope is our only strategy. And, and so the, in all of that, like, for, for me, learning that hope is the only strategy that I can have to, to live a life of, of following Christ and um, honorably serving him. Thank you. All right, I'm going to invite Chris, if you want to come up. We're being gentle this morning, not requiring or asking their wives to come with them. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, I appreciate it, Pastor. Shannon asked me at least three times um, during the course of the last few days, am I going to have to go up on stage? And I told her that she wouldn't. So, uh, First of all, before I get started, you will, if you don't know me well, I, I li enjoy a good laugh sometimes. So I, I, as, as I thought about Pastor's short sermon that you shared, thank you for sharing that, Pastor. I'm really excited about the opportunity that I get in this elder role to do four things. One of them is to lead. Um, that's scary and, and, and all of the things that go along with that. And I've always heard you're only leading if you look and people are following. So we have to remember that. But the second thing I get to do is teach. And I'm really excited about that. I get to do some of that today. I also get to care. And I, I love people and, and care a lot about people. But the one I'm really excited about was number four. I never in my life expected I would get to be a model. <laughs> Pastor, thank you for that opportunity. <laughs> Enough of that. So a little bit about me. I, uh, if you can't tell already, I'm just a country boy. Um, grew up out in Pulaski, Virginia. I don't know if you've ever been to Pulaski. If you've been to Pulaski, I would then challenge you and say, have you been to Snowville, which is in Pulaski County? And that's where I grew up. I uh, had the opportunity to grow up in a, in a Christian home. Um, it wasn't about, are we going to church today? It was about what time we're leaving. Um, do we have to go on Sunday night? Um, yes, we're going on Sunday night. Yeah, and by the way, we're going on Wednesday night. So I grew up in that environment where it was a home that taught me at an early age to, to love Christ. Uh, I accepted Christ as my Savior when I was 11 years old in Bible school. I still think back. I'll, I'll never forget these ladies, Mrs. Orfus and Miss Hess. I think I was in like year 45 that they had been traveling and doing Bible schools around uh, the community. Um, but they never lost a passion, and I accepted Christ at an early age, was baptized, um, continue to, uh, to grow up in that Christian home and um, 
You know, you hear a lot of stories about Christians and how they accept Christ, and there's this huge transformation in their life. I don't have that really exciting, like I was doing all these really, really, really bad things, and then Christ saved me, and, and there was this huge transformation. But don't miss the opportunity that when you're saved, we're all sinners, and we're all exactly alike, and we're all dying and going to hell. And so I have that that I can hang on to. Um, I did a lot of things early in life, you'll, you'll hear through my story. So um, I started serving in church at, I, I, before I ever got out of high school, I was serving in various capacities. I was teaching, uh, I was leading music, which is really a concerning, Pastor. Um, bless you. Uh, you do a much better job than I would have ever done. Um, not long after high school, I, I became a deacon in the church. A little bit later, was a trustee in the church. So I did a lot of things, probably too early uh, in life, but I was exposed to great Christian leaders that helped me to grow and understand the value of serving in church. Continuing with the, the trend of things early in life, met my wife. Uh, we got married when I think I was 21, if I get the math right. Um, it was an interesting story. Our dads worked together. They hooked us up as a blind date. Those things don't work out very often. I think they both got felt like we would never meet anybody and never get out of the house. So I think they both <laughs> they said, we think you guys would be great together. Uh, we got married at a young age. Um, for those of you who don't know, when I was married, I, uh, I was fortunate enough to have a three-year-old stepson that came in. I'm going somewhere with this story, so bear with me. Married at a young age. We didn't have a lot. We lived um, in the basement of my parents' house. <laughs> Sad story there. Um, but not long after we got married, we, um, I was in school, Shannon was working, so I was uh, supported by my wife, and I loved every minute of that, um, but, <laughs> but shortly thereafter, she says, you got to get a job, so I, I went out and I got a job, and so we had been married for a little while, we were expecting another child, Hillary came along, she's here with us this morning, and man, life was running, still serving in church, doing all those things, but now there's all these responsibilities in life that begin to come at you, and you have to think, I can't possibly do this on my own. And so we learned at an early age to, to trust God, trust his provisions. Um, you know, when the dollar didn't think it was going to make it, it did. Um, we, I remember distinctly conversations we had very early in our marriage about the value of tithing. And we said, you know what? Regardless of the other things, we're going to do that. And so there were some hard times. Um, you've all been through them. I'm not telling you things you haven't already done in your own life. My encouragement to you is stay true to God's word. God's word says to give, and we did. And, and man, God has blessed us financially. He's blessed us just growing as a family. We've been married for, um, I think, 28 years this year. And man, just come through a lot. Um, went through a lot of challenges. Our son that I told you about, man, many of the gray hair and the missing hair, they came. I received an email this weekend. Sorry. My son is in jail. And he sent me an email this weekend, and he said, Dan, Mom, man, I've been through a lot. And he said, I've been trying to do the right things, 
And he said, and every time it feels like I'm doing the right things and I'm reading God's word, things just happen, and I don't understand why. And it was so cool because we're in Sunday school this morning or in small group. We're going to talk about how Paul challenges Timothy, and he says, look, there's going to be hard times, and you've got to persevere. And if you think that Satan's not going to try to distract you and keep you from making good choices, you're wrong. So I'm excited to go home today and share with him a reminder of the value of staying true to God's word. This is a kid that grew up in church. He can tell you all the verses. He can quote the books of the Bible. He can answer all the questions you would think. Now, that, church, that kid must come to church every week. But it's a great example of how simply coming to church doesn't do it. And so over the course of time, in addition to learning financially to trust in God, we've spent 25 years trying to make a difference in kids' ministry. We still work on Wednesday nights. We're excited we're going to kick that off. Um, my journey may seem rosy. I'm always the guy that laughs and makes jokes. And, but there's been some journeys in my life that have prepared me for this because I've often said, why me? I'm not the alcoholic. I've never drank a day in my life. I'm not the drug addict. But it can happen in your home and it can happen in mine. And so we have a passion for reaching kids. We want to partner with parents to help them raise those kids to understand that God loves them and it's more than just talk. And so I'm really excited about this opportunity to serve here. We have reached a stage in our life um, where we were starting to settle down in Roanoke. How many people have bought your house that this might be the last house, right? I just want to retire here. So we bought this house. Um, one minor detail I forgot to tell you, this son that I have, his daughter, Skylar, is 10. And she's lived with us for nine years. And so we bought this house. And we said, this could be the last one. And we did a bunch of remodeling, and we didn't remodel for anybody else. We didn't remodel to, to build this property to sell it. We remodeled it to live in it. We're really excited. And 13 months later, we put the for sale sign, and we said, we're going to Palatine. <laughs> um, it didn't really make sense. But as I watch and I look back at how God pulled all of that together, um, we sold the house in seven days, six days. Um, we closed on the sale, what, three days before we sold, or we closed on the per property we were buying here. Uh, I felt right at home coming to Powhatan. As I said, I'm just an old country boy. And, and so we moved, and we started looking around at churches, and we came to Red Lane, and it just really wasn't for us. You know, they, they released the kids to Children's Church, and I think there were three kids, and they all belonged to Pastor. And I said, hey, those, those children have what they need. We need to find somewhere else because Pastor can raise his kids. And, and so we visited some other churches. We found a church we settled in. It was like less than five minutes from our house. We said, man, this is going to be great. We can go to an early service. I can be home. I literally would come home, and I was taking a nap at 10 o'clock in the morning. And I thought, well, this is great. <laughs> but it wasn't where I needed to be. And so we came back six months or so later and visited Red Lane again. Unfortunately, there were more than three kids that time. Um, and here we are. And we've been so excited and blessed to, to see how God's brought us to this place. And 
I'm really excited for this opportunity to, to be a part of the ministry here at Red Lane. Um, there's just so many cool things going on, and God's got great plans for this church. And so I uh, just ask for you guys to continue to pray for us, continue to pray for pastor and his family, and uh, we're going to do everything we can to um, do what God wants us to do here at Red Lane. Just to give a different perspective on that Sunday they visited, they came in July. You guys go away in July, so don't go away in the summer. Because when guests come, they're like, nobody's here. But the reason no one's here is because you guys are all at the Outer Banks. So uh, check with me to schedule your vacations. We'll stagger them out. <laughs> Last one we're going to hear from this morning is Brad Wren and uh, his wife Stephanie. But Brad's going to come and share. Uh, good morning. I've kept this pretty scripted because if not, I'll be up here for about 45 minutes. So, uh, my story is quite different from the two men you just heard from um, this morning. I grew up in a home that was not so much anti-God, just was really no God. Never as a child can I remember ever speaking about religion, faith, or really anything spiritual. There were times when we would visit my grandmother for Easter and we'd go to the Easter service at her church, but it always seemed to be something that felt forced. I can remember attending a VBS or two, but that was because a friend invited me, and we goofed off more than anything else. I guess the best way to describe myself through childhood and adolescence was someone who, who was just ambivalent to the thought of God at all. So fast forward a little bit, Stephanie and I started dating in high school, and at that point, she and her parents were regular church attendees. I can remember attending a few services with them, but again, not for any, re any other reason than to spend more time with her. So fast forward six or seven years, and we're married, and we're trying to learn to do life together, but on different paths spiritually. I think for her, the thought of having kids and not going to church was an issue. But for me, again, ambivalent to the entire situation of faith, it was no big deal. In 1999, we found out we were expecting our first child, and in early 2000, her parents enrolled us in a parenting class called Growing Kids God's Way at their church. We attended and learned a tremendous amount about taking care of a baby, but I really took nothing away from the class other than schedules and feedings. And thinking about it now, I dare to say that the amount of nights that we were at that class was probably more time than I had ever spent in a church in my entire life. I won't continue to bore you with more history, but I guess the point that I want to get across is that I was a young man, soon to be a father, that had absolutely no concept of what faith, religion, or God was, but that was all about to change. Whether I wanted to admit it or not, the God that I never knew or wanted to know was starting to move people into my life to make himself known to me. In late 2001, I made a career change and returned to my current employer, Alsco, we're a linen and uniform rental company. This resulted in me becoming the manager of four people, and one of them, Manly, was a rather remarkable fellow. It did not matter how much I yelled, cussed, fussed at him, I could not get him to snap or bite or, uh, or bark back at me. And to be honest, I was not a very nice guy, and I typically showed it daily. I finally asked him one day, I said, no matter what I do or say to you, you never fight back or even get angry at me. 
He told me that was because he had Jesus. And there was nothing that I could do that would take away his joy. I remember rolling my eyes, and I'm sure that I said some unsavory things under my breath. Well, this continued for about a year or so. Manly told me that he was once like me, and that after he became a follower of Jesus, he was changed. Well, this seemed nice, but still a bit far-fetched for me. Yet over the coming months, he would, he would find opportunities to mention Jesus and share his life story with me. It was probably late 2002. Steph and Burke had been attending a few churches. I went a few times, but I was still not really into it and only went to keep her from giving me grief. To be truthful, I was feeling miserable as a man, a husband and a father. There was never a feeling of completeness in my life. Not much kept me happy, whether it was work or play, and I was starting to think that there has to be more to this whole Jesus thing. I don't remember exactly when in 2003, but I remember getting up on a Sunday and asking Steph if we could go to church. I'm pretty sure she probably thought that she was dreaming, but she did not hesitate or let me take the offer back. I can remember being absolutely petrified walking into church that Sunday morning. From the moment that the doors closed, I was looking for a way out. I have never been a very outgoing person, and to get thrown into a room of strangers greeting me and shaking my hands uh, was very uncomfortable. I had no idea of how any of this worked. When do we stand? When do we sit? Close our eyes, etc. Yet I remember driving home and actually thinking to myself, that was not too bad. We returned and were invited to a small group. This would be the next, uh, next set of people that God was placing in my life the group was led by Rick and Carolyn, a couple that just loved on Steph and I each week. They somehow knew that this was all new for me, and they made everything so comfortable for me. Through different Bible studies that we would work through, I could really feel that God was starting to make his presence known to me. I can remember sitting in our kitchen and reading parts of the Bible and asking my poor wife so many questions. As a person who'd never read the Bible, things were just jumping off the page to me every time I opened it. Things seemed so normal to Steph. Things that seemed so normal to Steph were just blowing my mind. As the year continued, I can remember sitting in worship and feeling myself being torn down each week. I would hold the back of the pew because God was working through all my junk, my trash, and my baggage that I was carrying around. I remember reading the Gospel of John in chapter 17, verses 1 through 3 says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to, be, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is, a, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I can remember everything about the morning of November thirteenth, two 2003. I was at work and was getting ready to leave for leave Richmond for Fredericksburg. I had to stop and get, get gas, and while the truck was filling up, I was in the back. So if you can imagine like a UPS truck, that's what I was in. So I'm in the back of the truck, and for the first time in my life, things were starting to make sense, and it was becoming very clear that God was calling me into a relationship with him. Going back to the passage in John, it clicked. Everything that Jesus did on earth and in his death on the cross was all done for me to be able to have a relationship with him. So right there in the back of the work truck, I got down on my knees and gave my life to Christ. 
I can remember telling him that I really did not know how any of this works, but I was trusting him to show me and help me through it. For the first time in my life, I really prayed an honest prayer. I remember standing up, and I felt about 100 pounds lighter. All the weight of everything that had been bottled up in me was gone, and I think I cried about halfway, halfway to Fredericksburg. On Sunday, January 30th, 2004, I was baptized. Our church tried like crazy to get the heater working in the baptistry, but to no avail, we finally just decided to do it, and it was cold. <laughs> so my life has changed completely since becoming a believer. Steph will tell you that there is a definitely a before Christ Brad and an after Christ Brad. God has given me such a passion for his word, and I still try to learn as much about him as I can. I've had the pleasure of serving in three churches, from teaching middle schoolers to adults, leading in men's ministry, and serving as a deacon. Since joining Ray Lane in 2017, I have enjoyed serving as a teacher, a deacon, member of the Bonaire Prison Ministry Team, the Homeless Ministry Team, and coordinating Financial Peace University. I've spoken too long, but I do want to close by saying this. Jesus Christ not only changed my life, but he changed my marriage and forever changed our family. I firmly believe that the Lord has placed people in my life for a reason. And while some were only there for a season, I'm grateful that they listened to God and shared the gospel with me. Because without them pouring into my life, I would not be standing here speaking to you today. Thank you. So as you have heard this morning, three really, really great guys, and three guys that God's been moving in their hearts and lives for, for many years. Uh, are they perfect? No. You can go spend some time with them. You'll figure out they're not perfect, just like if you spend some time with me, you'll figure out I'm not perfect as well. None of us are. But they're on the journey. They're on the path. God's been moving. God's going to continue to move as they keep their eyes on Jesus Christ. I think one of the things we've heard this morning from all three of these men is that uh, there was a moment when they said yes to Jesus. There was a moment when they understood the gospel and they understood, I'm a sinner. My life is miserable. I might not even realized how miserable I was, but all of a sudden the gospel's been clear. My sin has been made clear, and I am in need of something, and that something is Jesus Christ. I need a someone. I need Jesus in my life. Colossians 1 tells us that we've been made by God and for God. You're a miserable person. Even if you have everything this world has, you're miserable until you meet Jesus. Because you're only made for one thing. You were made to be in relationship with your creator. And that is the Lord, as the Bible reveals it. And so this morning, we're going to move into a time of response. You say, I didn't heard a sermon today. Well, I preached a small one, I guess. You've heard three testimonies. So the gospel's been made clear. And you may be like Brad. You might be like uh, Chris. You might be like where Mike and his story is. Different paths, different journeys. You might have grown up in church. This might be the first time you've ever stepped foot in a church because you're here because one of your uh, nephews was baptized today. But it wasn't by chance. It wasn't just happenstance that you came here this morning. God in his sovereignty has brought all of us here for this time, for such a time as this. That you could hear the testimonies of this, these men and how Jesus has changed them. You could hear the testimony of Scripture and what God wants to do in your life. Today's the moment for you to say yes to Jesus. So we're going to stand in just a moment. We're going to sing a song. And if God is stirring in your heart, what we do here at Red Lane is we give people opportunities. You can come and just make these steps here in an altar and just get on your knees and pray if you'd like. You don't have to do that. If you want to sit down in your seat and pray. If you
you just want to go and grab a person and have them pray with you, if you want to talk with someone, I would encourage you to come down the aisle. We'll get you with someone, one of our encouragers. They'll pray with you and, and talk with you. If you want to place your faith in Jesus, they will help you make that decision. Maybe you want to follow the Lord and believers baptism or begin the journey of what it means to be a member of Red Lane. You come and get you with one of our encouragers today. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to stand and we're going to sing. Father, we thank you for the testimonies that we've heard from Mike and from Chris and from Brad. How the gospel has been the power of God for salvation to them. Lord, some of them grew up in a Christian home. They had godly parents that modeled what it meant to be a believer, a father of Jesus. Lord, Brad had no concept of that. But you love the religious and the irreligious because you love sinners. And you have done everything possible. You have done everything necessary to bring every single person in relationship with you. But they have to come to Jesus. This morning in this room, there are believers and unbelievers. God, I pray that you have encouraged and that you will continue to encourage believers to lean in more, to trust you more, to walk with you more intimately and closely. I pray for the, uh, those who are unbelievers, those who have never come into relationship with you, that today, hearing the testimonies of these men, how they placed their faith in Jesus, seeing these three young men place their, uh, or, or demonstrate their faith in Jesus through baptism, God, I pray that you use that to stir hearts to say yes to Jesus we move into this time of response, open our hearts, open our minds to what you want to do in our lives. Give us hope. God, we know that hope is found only in Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Let's stand.